Loving God, we pray that you will, as you always are, be with us, and in particular at, in this time of sharing a little bit about Marilyn's life, that you, your spirit will guide her to say the words that she is meant to say, that uh, share truth, share her heart, share her experience and her life and faith in whatever way that touches somebody's life this day and also lifts up Marilyn as well. Be with her and all of us in this present moment, but we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody says together, amen. amen. Yes. Well, again, thank you for being here with us today, yes. Marilyn. And thank you. I know some of you don't know Marilyn because she's a relatively new member of the church. In fact, she hasn't even had the opportunity to be formally welcomed as a member of the church yet, but that'll happen in early October with 15 to 20 other people who are joining the church. But Marilyn, I wanted to start by just asking you the question, when and why did you start coming to PCC and why did you decide to stay? <laughs> That's a, thank you. Uh, I left a church that I know some of you left also and was looking for a new, a new place to worship and uh, a new uh, pastor, Steve, and decided that uh, I'll give it a shot. Of course, it was a pandemic, so everything was online and kind of weird. <laughs> but when we finally came to, we could come to face-to-face, -face, um, I came because of Steve, but I stayed for four reasons. I think I can come up with four reasons. I'll save the, the best for last, but I came because, one, the music is absolutely heart-stirring, warm. Uh, you can't listen to it without feeling God's presence. And I've often said, you know, if I die and go to heaven and there's rap music, I, I'll know I didn't make it. <laughs> but, but I've changed my mind since then because I think God can probably have a little rap section over to, way off to the right or left. Uh, so the music is, just stirs me totally. Um, I love walking into church. I park on the lower street and get to walk through the garden and can't, I won't sing, but can't help thinking the words. I come to the garden alone where the dew is still on the roses and this beautiful garden that just sets the tone. I come for the preaching and uh, that the, the pastors that speak to us are biblically sound and don't tell us wandering off to something that is their pet peeve, but rather <laughs> biblically sound stuff that is just... I can do that if you want me to. No, thank you. <laughs> but just that, not that you couldn't, but that you don't, because you know that we come because we need to hear God's word and what that does in our lives. So I appreciate that, but I mostly stay because of all of you. Um, I have been to lots of churches, but I can tell you that I've never gone to a church where I felt like, okay, I'm welcome here, and, and sincerely felt that your love and, and, and embrace that right. said, stay with us for a while. So that was That's great, great to hear, Marilyn, yeah. especially, um, as you said, you started to come online during COVID. Yeah, it was terrible. And uh, <coughs> once we started gathering together, you joined a life group and I got to know Marilyn and the life group that I lead. And here's a plug that we're getting our life group starting again in October, the first week in October. So we'll be signing up soon for those. You get lots more information about that. The last few weeks, uh, Steve has started his interviews with the question, more or less, where did you grow up? And as you were growing up in your childhood, youth, your earlier experiences in life, how did you uh, experience God? 
or Jesus or, or life in the church if you went to church? Well, I did go to church. Uh, I went to church with my two sisters. I was raised in the Berkeley, Oakland Hills, beautiful piece of property that overlooked all of the Bay Area. And, and um, my parents would drive the three of us to church and drop us off. I never, I don't know if I just didn't get the nerve or I didn't wonder at the time, why don't they come? But they never did, but we did. And so that I, was, I call that parachute Christianity. It was definitely like that. I don't remember discussions after church, like, what did you learn? Maybe because I was younger, and they did that with my older sisters, but not with me. I do remember feeling, uh, I went to First Press Berkeley at the time when Dr. Robert Munger was a pastor, and he gave some incredible sermons. And, but there was that sense in the, in the Sunday school class of, you better come to know Jesus if you don't want to burn in hell for eternity. So I think I accepted Christ maybe five to ten times. Maybe. Just to hedge your bets? You just hedge yeah. my bets. Okay, yeah. Not knowing what does it mean or what's that, what makes difference in my life. Is that yeah. going to change anything? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so that's, that was the first introduction. And then, of course, I, prone to wander, left the church because I, I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I was the center of the universe and I knew it. And were you? You were probably too smart for that. <laughs> but I, I think I, I sometimes laugh and think I was the one that first was coined the phrase of hire a teenager while they still know everything. There you go. I felt like, boy, I know it all. Yeah. My mother is as dumb as a doorknob and I know everything. <laughs> so. And then you forgot it all, and then you yeah, know it now all again, right? Is right, that how it works? exactly. Um, so then you went to Cal, to UC Berkeley, and you studied uh, social work. Because that was what I was told, the easiest major to get through. Okay. That's... I was not a very good student. Any <laughs> young people listening today, don't, don't pay any attention to what you no, just said. No, I don't think, th by the time I graduated, you had to get a master's degree to use what you learned, and uh, that was not going to happen. But I guess backing up a little bit, yeah. when I was 14, my father uh, died in a plane crash. He was driving his own plane and it crashed in Palm Springs. And my dad was kind of a tough cookie. I mean, he just demanded perfection. And knew, I always felt like <clears throat> I was never quite good enough. No matter what I did, I should have done better. And, um, and that, I'm sure, made my walk with a loving, caring, gracious, embracing God more difficult. And I, I really realize how, how tough it's been for me to accept that grace. I mean, why would he accept that grace mm -hmm. based on this flawed human being here? Yeah. So it's been... That's not uncommon. I mean, a lot of people have their relationship, their first understanding of God is not necessarily the gracious, loving God. It's whatever authority figures have either represented to them or modeled for them. Um, and so uh, some of us are very lucky and some of us have a harder time yeah. embracing that gracious God who, who embraces you and all of us. And then in the 60s, um, you decided to, or in the 50s and 60s, you decided to go down south to move to the, get out of the Bay Area and to go save the world a little bit in the South and the Civil Rights Movement. You want to share a little bit about that? You know, it, I, I definitely, when I graduated, as I said, by the skin of my teeth from UC Berkeley and thought, I can go to the South and I'll be the one to turn it around and save it. And 
course, you can tell how well that worked or didn't work. But in the process, ended up teaching school and, and not loving it, but realizing um, I don't think I'm going to be a teacher, although I taught for a number of years in different states. But um, in that process of trying to find answers, I mean, even though by then I had walked away from the church, there was always that sense deep inside of me like, what am I supposed to do with my life? What's my gift? Why am I here? We all ask those questions, don't we? That sense of a purpose that we have in our lives. And I dabbled in almost a few, almost cultish organizations, and of course every religion you could think of, except Christianity. <laughs> um, went through a couple of failed marriages, had four amazing children from those marriages, and now 12 incredibly talented, beautiful, perfect, God-loving, like all of you, right? Grandchildren. <laughs> um, but they are pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so, I got to well, see pictures of a bunch of them the yeah, other day over yeah, at your house. Yeah. And then you moved back to the Bay Area after right. that time. And, and then you moved up to Southern Oregon. Right. To the uh, Jacksonville, Ashland area there right. in the Jackson County in you know, Southern Oregon. And something really big happens to you when yeah. you move there that had a big impact on your journey with God, your, your yes, faith indeed. life. Why don't, why don't you tell us what that was? I met a family, that, an outdoorsy family, and I always kind of had that bent toward wanting to do outdoor things, but met this family, and they were such amazing Christian people, and I just wanted to say, I don't want any part of that. Don't, I'll be a friend, but don't invite me to church, for goodness sakes, I don't want to go to church. And then one day got the invitation from the family to come to their small little church because there was a puppet show. I had two young kids living at home and they said, your kids would love the puppet show. So reluctantly I went to church and the pastor who probably um, on the scale of amazing pastors in the world wouldn't make the top 100, but he shared that simple thing that I heard before. This is my body which is broken for you, Marilyn. And I heard it for the first time. And of course, I was sitting in church sobbing and everyone was thinking, oh my gosh, this is one of those times. And, and then after uh, church, uh, the family took my kids and the pastor and I sat in his, in his office and I accepted Christ. And the rest was history, as they say. Yeah, a big experience. And, and the other day you <coughs> shared with me, and I was so pleased that Steve Main, when he played in the prelude on the, on the harp, he, he played uh, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing, if right. you recognize that yeah. song. And, and some of the lyrics in that song really touch you a lot. Yes. And, I, and as we were talking the other day, more than a couple of tears came to your eyes when you were talking about this. What are those words? Do you want to read them? Or? No, I, I got them. You got them. I think you do. Yeah. <laughs> Probably all of you do, too. Well, the line that says, prone to wander, and I thought, Oh, Lord, I've been wandering, 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 and I'm tired of wandering. You know, I'm just worn out of chasing this and chasing that and chasing here. And then after becoming a believer, I'm still prone to wander. And I don't like that part of myself, but it, it comes up just because that old me says, I can handle this, Lord. I got this. I got this. You don't, you don't have to deal with this because I got it. But the reality is, well, not exactly. Mm -hmm. So, but then I love the part ta to take your heart and seal it. Yes. 
and, and I'm, that's my prayer always, that God would just take my heart and seal it tight. Yeah. So when I start to wander, I kind of get pulled back quicker than I did in my youth. Yeah. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Yes. And then within two weeks of having this experience, yeah. you heard about, speaking of wandering, a group called Wilderness Trails right. in Southern Oregon, and you yeah. got involved with that. What, what were they doing? The Wilderness Trails is a program dealing with battered and abused kids, and um, I, right after becoming a Christian, I heard about it, and I felt like, oh man, would I love to work with that. And you know, I, I'm gonna paraphrase it, although you were kind enough to write it out, Frederick Beekner's words of, you know you're in God's will, where your deep joy and the world's hunger meet. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I don't think it gets any better than this. So I actually went to the director of Wilderness Shells and said, hire me, part-time is fine, but I wanna work with kids. And I wasn't very well trained, although some of my social work background came to the front, but um, I got to take mostly teen girls, backpacking, coming to camp. Um, we would go to the sand dunes in, in uh, Oregon. We'd do all sorts of stuff together. And now, 40 plus years later, I'm still in touch with some of those kids on those original trips that, that um, just touches kids in a way. You probably know that when you're under a sky full of stars, or you see a waterfall, or you, you just feel the quiet and the depth and the, and the specialness of the outdoors that God just reeks in every single moment of, the, of those. And I know some of you enjoy that outdoor thing. And so it just felt like it was a natural setting for kids to yeah. get to experience that. Absolutely. And I just, I felt like, ooh, it's good to be home. Well, I, Scott would probably agree with this. One of the joys of youth ministry of any variety, ordained or not, is those connections you make that last a lifetime. It's, it can be just amazing. A kid will, you met 40 years ago, will still be in touch with you, and somehow you made a little difference, and they made a difference in your life, too. Yes, indeed. So much difference that when you moved back to the Bay Area after you met and married your husband, Doug, who I met the other day as well, you came back here and you started a group called Youth, uh, Today's Youth Matter. Right. And it's sort of modeled on the wilderness trails, but Correct. why don't you just explain um, why you got started your own group and how it went, and then I'm also interested in what is it about this model of um, taking kids who are abused or having unfortunate circumstances out into nature or out. What is it about that model that really touches you? There's a lot of things. First of all, when, I'm, when Doug and I got married and I really wanted to stay with Wilderness Trails because I felt like, oh, this is as good as it gets. And he said, you know, I bet there's some Bay Area kids that would need something like this. And of course, and he's an American Baptist pastor and in typical American Baptist fashion, they had a couple of meetings and said, yes, I guess we do have some troubled kids in California. So that's how it got. And then the American Baptist helped us get the program started. There's something kind of amazing that happens with kids when you take them out of what they know and put them into something they don't know. But deep down, they kind of want to experience it, but they're scared to death. And I've been, we took them to camps. Um, we actually got a, a facility that we used for a number of years. 
uh, primitive camping, so the kids did their own cooking and um, activities that centered around camp life, formed in teams, and uh, there's something magical, I think, that happens to kids when they get out of their familiar environment. And you know, I've often said, you can get the toughest kid in the world who looks at you and says, you know, it gives you that sort of head move that I can't mimic correctly, but it's like, lady, I can take you anytime I want. <laughs> but then when the, when the sun goes down and I got the flashlight, that kid is mine because he's scared to death. And then discovers sky and discovers the beauty surrounding him and discovers his own self-reliance. The thing that I think is critical in kids that are not doing well is to find that one marker that's a success. That's one of the reasons we have them cooking, because, oh, that's the best hamburger I ever tasted. Or, did you see that you swam the length of the, of the pond? Or all these things that positively reinforce kids. Yeah. So that's... So there's that one-to-one -one interaction with the kids that's really important because you get to experience for yourself and the, the young person gets to experience the change, whatever transformation, and you can mutually reinforce that when you're in a one-to-one -one kind of a, a setting because the groups you were with tended to be relatively small, right? Right, always small. Never less than a two-to-one ratio, two kids with one adult. Sometimes we had them one-on-one. -on -one. You know, I think that unless you're Jonah at Nineveh, probably all of us came to Christ one-on-one, -on -one, right? We, we don't just, it's because of someone in our lives that walked next to us, rather as the pastor that walked into my life that turned my life around. We come to Christ one-on-one, -on -one, and when you've been knocked down consistently over and over and over again, it's very difficult to want, why should I trust you, lady? Yeah. You don't look anything like me, you sure don't dress like me, yeah. and you sure don't talk like me. But once you break that barrier and you start to get to know each other, yeah. then special things happen. So can you share a story that sort of uh, is reflective of this kind of experience? I'm saying this is kind of a leading question because she has a great story. <laughs> Thank you. I hope you remember what it oh, was. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> that one is indelibly is tucked in my head. So there was a board member that lived in Southern Oregon on our Today's Youth Matter board. And he had a farm, and he said at some point, you know, we were used to the camping and the backpacking programs and special trips. And he said, why don't you bring a group of kids up to the farm and live on the farm for during spring break or during a summer weekend? Boy, I jumped all over that. <clears throat> and one particular trip, I had brought just three girls and me. And it's so fun to watch kids at a farm for the first time. And they look and say, ah, that's where eggs come from. No clue and or digging up potatoes or picking their own tomatoes and he had made arrangements at a really tiny local church about maybe within walking distance but we drove uh, to where the farm was and I brought my three kids to church uh, they made up 75 percent of the Sunday school class and uh, they and the teacher was so well prepared she is she was on her game and she had all this and they just left they wanted to leave so fast because they knew it was going to be fun. And, and so they left. And the rest of us adults sat around a rather large table, maybe 14, 15 of us. And what the pastor was preaching on or teaching us, I can't remember. But what did happen is that about five minutes into it, out these big windows, we saw this guy dressed in a long white robe come up on his one-speed bicycle and get off his bike and kind of rearranged his, his 
robe and come inside. And no one moved to make room for him around the table. And he kind of knew the drill. You know, it's okay that I come, but I'm not part of this church. And one of the ladies sitting next to me wanted to make sure I knew his story. So in a very loud whisper, she said, you know he's homeless. He's a Vietnam vet and his brain is pretty shot. So we went through the Sunday school. And when Sunday school was over, the kids came bounding out of their classroom to show me this incredible artwork that they had done. And then they spied the big sheet cake and the plate of cookies and hot chocolate that you can take a small styrofoam cup and you can pour three pa packets of, of hot chocolate into it and stir it up and still drink it, which I didn't know you could do, but they knew that you could do that. So they pushed their way to the front of the line and then one of them noticed this guy sitting on the back bench, the homeless Vietnam vet, sitting on the back bench. And they all three left their sacred spot and they went over and sat at his feet. And one of them said, can I get you something to drink? And one of them said, do you want something to eat? And he nodded and they zipped over to the line. One came with a big plate of cookies. One came with a piece of cake and one made her pasty hot chocolate, which she knew he'd love. And they brought them to him and they didn't move. They just watched him eat and drink. And I was watching them, not wanting to interfere with the moment. And uh, finally, one of them looked up at him and said, are you Jesus? And he shook his head, no. And they didn't move and they stayed with him. And just when, the, when our class was, and they were ready to go to the main church service, one of them came over to me and she said, I asked him if he was Jesus and he said he wasn't, but I think he was. And as we left, I just struck right through my heart. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And that was probably the biggest lesson that I can think of. Well, there were a lot of lessons, but that lesson of, you know, we never know, do we, when we're gonna come across that person that is Jesus, that we're hungry, and they got it. Right. I didn't at the time, but afterward. Right. right out of Matthew 25. Right out of Matthew 25. And here is an example of you, I'm sure, taught them all sorts of stuff, but here they were teaching you. Yes. Teaching each other and being taught by somebody else. Yes. And God used that moment, that precious moment in time, to reach a whole bunch of people. And now you're able to share that story with us too. Yes. So God is in that as well. Well, and, and, and Don, beyond that, the lesson is that we need, as a congregation of God followers, we need to keep our eyes open, don't we? Absolutely. That there is that person that you'll come across that's hungry or thirsty and doesn't smell good and looks kind of streety, you know, not like, not like all, all of us. He's not one of us. And yet the kids saw that yeah. and that was good. And, and you told me another story of a little girl who uh, said that God spoke to her in a dream after, in a whisper, yeah. after hearing the story of Elijah in the, the uh, cave who heard the presence of God go by in a still small voice. She had this dream and she came up to you and she recalled the story and and she said god said to her what did he say to her he said to her we had heard the uh, uh, the we were at the farm again getting ready to drive home and the last night the owner of the farm shared the story of elijah and how god didn't come in the clangy noisy life but came in a whisper and she said to me she leaned over and said you know god spoke to me last night and i said what did he say 
He said, well, he said it in a whisper. He said, say kind words. Okay, that's another good lesson, isn't it? Say kind words. I even got a t-shirt. It's coming, hopefully in the mail sometime soon, that says, you can be anything you, if, if you, oh, I've lost it. If you can be anything you want, be kind. Yeah. yeah. Kind of sums it up. Kind of sums, sums it up, up, doesn't it? And so at some point, 40 years or so later, you retired from um, being, you I, know, know, <laughs> I know, I know, I'm, I'm getting to that. that, I'm getting to that. <laughs> we have a little shtick here going on about the word retire, yeah. because you stopped being <laughs> the executive director of Today's Youth Matter. And when it got to that point, what was your perspective on retirement? I talked to a lot of pastors, you included, and asked, so where in scripture does it say, so you do this and this and this, and then you retire, and you go play golf, or go to the coast, or do this, and, and all of you said, it isn't scriptural. So, <laughs> and I think about the heroes in my life, in my lifetime, the Mother Teresa's, who just work until she dies, the Jimmy Carter, who is still building houses for Habitat, um, you know, those folks that just say there is, we're not, we're not, uh, we can retire from the paid job, but we can't retire from, from life. So I didn't retire, I shifted. And someone has suggested that, you know, you have all these stories of kids, why don't you put them in book form? So I wrote this book, not very well written, by the way, called Potholes in the Pavement. Here it is right here, uh, available on Amazon.com. Oh, on. <laughs> or if you're smart, ask me, I'd like a copy and I'll bring one next week, free. <laughs> As a fellow author, I know I have a lot of copies of my book, too. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible, well you don't, if you write books to get wealthy, no, no. it probably isn't gonna happen. Yeah. And th that, that was very therapeutic for me, to write their stories, that kids who often the world just checks off as, oh, they're just gonna be throwaway kids, that they turn around their lives. One young man who is now, um, he was told by his high school, you will not graduate from high school, drop out, get your GED. He just finished his master's program and uh, is just a miracle worker with young people. Mm -hmm. And I think you know, that sense of don't quit. I often say you know, the stories about don't quit before the miracle, I thought maybe you've heard that term, that I think the tendency is to want to, oh, I've had enough of this, and then something happens and you think, oh, good thing I didn't quit. Yeah. So that's in that book. Well, right around the time that book came out, 2016, 17, you, like a lot of us, and all, the whole country, were noticing how the tenor, the tone of conversation and politics and all sorts of things in our country took a downturn. It was going in that direction probably anyway, but it was really noticeable about 2015, 16 in that mm -hmm. time frame. So you decided to do something about it. What did you do? I wanted to know if the whole country was feeling what I was feeling. This, we're not doing well. You know, we're angry. We're divisive. Or is that just a San Francisco Bay Area, Bay Area thing with a grown up old hippie and very left leaning people? Or is that the, the country? Is that all of us? So I went on this little journey, which was done in four parts. The first was a, a trip from east to as far, I got as far as uh, Kansas, Nebraska, and then dropped down to Texas and then came home. One in the south, one in the east, and one in the Pacific Northwest, asking one question. 
if you, and I talked to maybe three or 400 people, mostly in diners and parks, because I think that's where people like to talk a lot. <laughs> Seems like that for me anyway. I could talk to almost anybody in a diner or in a, in a park. But asking one question, if you could think of one thing that would change our country, that would help our country to heal and to come together, what would it be? And then I just stopped and listened. I learned to listen, which is a good, good thing to learn. I haven't always learned to listen, but to really listen to what they had to say. No one was dismissive. No one said, oh, that's dumb. Everybody, if anybody didn't have an idea, they'd say, well, I don't have an idea, but if you, give, if you point me in a direction, I'll help out. I'll roll up my sleeves. So, and that was true. I didn't get anyone that said, oh, that's dumb. You know, just very open and mm -hmm. wanting to And help. you had one woman say to you, if you talked to her, I walked, I was driving, I got off the main road somewhere in, I think it was Kansas and Rolling Hills and, and took this little road and all of a sudden I came to this tiny town, I think it was about two blocks long with some side roads. And I took one of the side roads, two churches I remember, and, um, and I took a side road and pulled up next to this amazing garden. It was not a huge garden, but uh, it reminded me of the Bouchard Gardens, if you've ever visited the Bouchard Good Gardens time. in British Columbia, that it was just outstanding, perfect, and I mean, just, it, it just drew you to stare at it. So I was staring at it, and all of a sudden I was aware that this woman was behind me, and she said, it's pretty spectacular, isn't it? And I said, um, boy, it's beautiful. She said, you want to come in? I said, of course. So we went in through the gate, and, and uh, she said, smell that one. And boy, my olfactory nerves were just exploding. It was so great. And then she invited me to come in. Did I want to come in and, and um, have some lemonade? And my kid's little ear, mom, you know you're way too trusting. Don't go inside. So I sat on the porch and I figured if she, were, if she was a bad guy, I was probably 10 years younger than she was, so I could probably take her. But uh, <laughs> we sat on the porch and she shared her life story, which was amazing. I think, she, but I kind of figured out afterward when she told me the chronological order of some of the things she had done that she was must be in her mid 90s and a widow for a long time. But, when I asked her the question of, can you think of something that uh, would turn our country toward the common good? And she said, I think we need to smell more flowers. And then she said, how many angry people do you see smelling flowers? And I had to think, oh, when I get home, I know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna start planting. And then I joined a church that knows the, the joy of, don't we all know the joy of roses as we come in? If you haven't smelled the roses, don't leave without it because they are, you, can't, you cannot help but smile and feel yeah. great when you smell the flowers. And yeah. out of this journey, this wandering, came another book, Finding Common Ground, One Octogenarian's Quest to Help Our Nation Heal. And don't, Marilyn, say, don't say it. Marilyn co-wrote it with Robin Elizabeth Miller, and I won't say that it's available on Amazon.com. Or you can come to me afterward and I can give you a free copy of that as well. <laughs> That's right. I shouldn't be giving plugs for... No, uh, probably not. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so as we come to the end of this conversation, um, you and I were talking the other day, and one of the themes of your faith journey, as we shared earlier, is this idea of wandering. Yes. Wandering. Earlier on in your life, your parents would parachute you into church and they'd sort of wander off and do whatever they did. And, 
you were never quite sure what church or God or Jesus was about. And then you spent a lot of time wandering, which can be a great thing in life to wander, but you didn't have any sense of real direction. No direction, that's No correct. real sense of direction in your life. But then, interestingly enough, you've kept on wandering. You joined Wilderness Trails. You took kids on these expeditions of adventure. You wandered around the country, but you did it with intentionality and with a purpose and with a foundation. Yes. And what's that foundation that helps you to keep wandering with a purpose? Oh, I, I, guess, it's get, I guess it's leaning on Christ and understanding that I think that until I'm six feet under with a lily across my chest, I have something to do. Um, I, I don't want to just, you know, live out the last years of my life just thinking, well, I learned how to watch that Netflix series. <laughs> and not the Netflix series that I can give you a few of them that I've loved, but not that that's a bad thing, but definitely I don't want that written on my tombstone. She knew every Netflix series there was, or, you know, she knew how to vacation pretty well in, in Hawaii, but rather, um, I think we're called to serve. That's what God calls us to do. I think the other thing that it, it's important that we keep our we keep our focus, isn't it? That we don't just kind of meander. I mean, meandering is good sometimes. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Absolutely. But but that we keep that focus about. So why do I keep coming to church every Sunday? Is it because they have coffee and donuts afterward? No, I can get that at home a lot cheaper. Uh, is it because? I want to meet my friends, or is it because I want to be challenged to do something? Yeah. Well, there is a scripture lesson yeah. that you chose yeah. for today, and we'll close with the scripture lesson that comes from Romans 12. And you were telling me the other day that um, once, uh, about for three or four months in a summertime a few years ago, you really meditated on this passage. Yeah. And it means a lot to you. And, and, and Marilyn would like all of us to read it together. So if you pick up your, your bulletin on the page where the scripture lesson is, this is from the translation of the Bible called The Message. And let's read it all out loud together. Love, Love from, from the, the center, center of who you are. are. Don't, Don't fake, fake it. it. Run, Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Well, Marilyn, uh, you have from my understanding and talking with you and hearing you, you've really lived out a lot of these things. Does anything in this passage just really stick out to you? And we'll close with that. I love the line, and as I said, I, I told you, I meditated on it one summer. What does it mean to practice playing second fiddle? Now, I hesitate to say too much with this musician that is over the top, but my understanding of orchestras is that the first violins play the tune. They got, they're the ones, but the second violins, second fiddles, make the first violins just soar. And, and that when we in life can practice being that second fiddle, not I'm out, I'm out in front, I'm in charge, but rather I'm the one that makes you look good. 
and particularly with young kids, that always worked really well when the kid felt like, okay, yeah. I'm definitely the first violin. Yeah. And I love that part. That, and also the part that says, don't be the great somebody. Ooh, I'm so guilty of that, wanting to be the great somebody. But you hang out with nobodies but too. But you gotta hang we out all, with nobody. We all, we all are, in a way, nobodies we and are all somebodies nobodies. That's right. at the same time. Yes. Well, Marilyn, thank you so You're much. It's welcome. been a blessing thank to you. hear from you as you thank shared your journey. And, and let's all give thanks to Marilyn now. Thank you.